This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, uh, let's start this morning like we do uh, each week with our systematic theology and do our memory verse. Uh, I did not put it on the handout this week from last week, uh, and that is because I forgot to. It is not because of any other reason other than I forgot to. So, uh, I hope you didn't. Genesis 1, 26 and 27? Okay. You don't sound too enthused about it there, Doug. It's, it's okay to be enthusiastic. You may not be too enthused about today's memory verse, but that's, it's even better. All right, so who's got Genesis 1, 26 and 27? Anybody say it? I'm looking at you, Miss Amy. Yes, excellent. Doug, you got it? Awesome, good. I'm excited. You got to stand up then. No, no, no. You got to stand. Everybody stands up. and gets to do it. That's why I know who to, to ask. You got to stand. Go first. I'm standing up right here. No, you're not standing up. You got to stand. There you go. Anybody else? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. No? All right, Miss Amy. Let us make man in our own image. Yes. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Yes. A lot of creeping things. Yes. So God made man in his own image. In his own image, God made him. Man and male and female. Excellent. And you gave me the intro to this week's Sunday School lesson, too. So thank you. Come on up. Appreciate that. All right, Doug, here we go. You got it? I didn't need to listen to her because now I'm all family. That's, yeah, because you can get a different translation that yeah, somebody yeah, else has uses. Because you had the NASB or the New Living? Whatever it was on the Oh, okay. New King James. All right. You substituted a few words, but that's okay. There, yeah, I noticed that. It's, it's, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. So, all right, go for it, Doug. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. According to our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the birds of the air, over the, over the fish of the sea, yep. over over the cattle, yep. over all the earth, <clears throat> over the creeping things that creepeth on the earth. He threw some King James in there with the creepeth. Did you hear it? Yeah. That's awesome. I have a tendency. I knew I could. I know, right? I knew it was not popular. Uh, see, so he created man in his own image. In his own image, he created man. Male and female, he created them. Excellent. Good job. All right. Uh, Way to go. Cool. Now you got to come up and get your prize. That's the that's half the fun. So. Awesome. All right. Well, today we look at uh, specifically man is male and female. Uh, so a big chunk of what I'm going to talk about today, because uh, I know all of you have gone out and purchased the book uh, and you check my notes to make sure that they are accurate and true to the specific quotes in the book. Uh, a lot of the quotes that I'm using today will not be in the book. Uh, Dr. Grudem actually teaches a Sunday school class. Just think about that for a minute, right? He teaches a Sunday school class, and he took his class through this material several years ago. So I have been listening to these uh, quite often over the last several months. And this, these, he actually taught this lesson in two lessons which kind of made me wonder if I should attempt to do it in one, if the man who wrote it couldn't do it in one, right? So we'll see. Uh, but there's several quotes that he used in the Sunday school class that were not in his notes that I thought did a much better job of explaining things than what he actually put in the text. So uh, if you go to look any of these up, they're not there. It's because they're in the Sunday school material. 
So uh, today we look at uh, how mankind is made in the image of God, specifically at men and women. Uh, so to do that, we're going to go back to Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3. We'll spend a lot of time there, so if you've got your Bibles, we'll flip over to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But just a kind of a summary statement before we get too much into this, uh, the first blank on the handouts there, uh, God did not create human beings to be isolated persons. Now this has nothing to do with marriage, this statement. This statement has everything to do that we were made to be in relationship, we were made to be in community, we were made to be uh, interacting with other people regularly. Now, one thing I didn't talk about last week when we talked about the image of God is I didn't talk about how much Satan hates the image of God. So anything that God creates, Satan hates, and he wants to destroy it and mar it and change it and alter it so that it no longer accurately reflects the nature of uh, an image of God. So when we see lessons like today and we see things like man is male and female, um, Satan wants to damage and mar the image of God. So anything he can do to blur lines, to change distinctiveness, to alter roles, to uh, change, I mean, anything that he can do to to impact this, he sees this as a success. Uh, It was also something I didn't go into when we did the seven I am statements of Jesus. Because when you think about all those things that Jesus is, Satan is the very opposite of those. Jesus is the light of the world, Satan is darkness. Jesus is the bread of life. Satan actually proposed that Jesus uh, turned stones into bread when he tempted him. So so Satan's going to give you stones, right? Jesus gives you bread. Satan gives you stones. Um, I'm the light of the world. He's the darkness. Uh, What were some of the others? I'm the true vine. He wants to disconnect us from relationship and be separate from relationship. So all these things uh, play hand in hand. Whenever we see something that God wants to do, Satan wants to do the exact opposite. So we'll keep that in mind as we go through today. And we look at the biblical ideal, which, palms up telling the truth, nobody in this class has ever fully experienced, okay? Whether it be in singleness or whether it be in marital relationships, nobody in this class has ever fully experienced the biblical ideal as man and women are supposed to relate to each other because we are in the fallen state of man, right? It's just not going to be perfect. So when we talk about some of these things, if you hear and you go, well, that sounds really disconnected from what, yeah, that's right. That's because we're fallen, and that's the result of it. So, so don't, um, don't go into this thinking that everything is going to be perfect in nice and neat little corners because that's just really not how it works. So. All right, so let's look at uh, B there. Then uh, Grudem talks about equality and personhood and importance. Um, on your handout, the blank is men and women are equal in value and dignity. And he spends a ton of time going over this. But... Uh, but, Amy, in the, the verses that you just quoted, when the first time men and women are mentioned, who is made in the image of God? We being who? Just the men or just the women? Male and female? Really? So the first time men and women show up, God makes a point to say male and female. He created them in the image of God. So very clearly on the first page of the Scripture, God says, you both have value, you both have dignity, because you're made in my image. There is no one above the other in importance or value. So anything that has been done in the history of mankind to change that is a direct sin against the very first page of Scripture. Right? I mean, that's just not, that's not the way uh, the Scripture reads. 
So Genesis 1.27, what we just heard in the, um, the memory verses. And then flip to Genesis chapter 5 real quick. I want to read verses 1 and 2 here as well. Genesis 5, 1 and 2. Who's got that real quick? You got it? Tim, you got it? Got <clears throat> this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them. So then, uh, there we go, right there. Again, when we see this, he's got that voice, doesn't he? I want to hear him read the whole scripture, right? Forget Morgan Freeman. I want Tim Archer just reading the scripture. That'd be awesome. I mean, Morgan Freeman would be a really cool like audio version of the Bible to get, right? He hadn't done it, has he? This is my biggest squirrel moment of the day. I know Darth Vader has. Yeah, he has. Not as Darth Vader. I mean, that'd be weird. But... Well, actually, I don't know if it would be weird. It would not be weird. I'm not sure. Delete this off the podcast. That's really awkward. Okay. Um, so, so he talks about they're both in value, uh, equal in value and dignity, and he gives a lot of different examples of this. As you go through Scripture, we see both men and women held up as examples. Uh, when we see Jesus himself, his interactions with people, he treated both with value and dignity. Um, there wasn't a time where he ever said, oh, you're a man, I won't talk to you, or, oh, you're a woman, I won't talk to you. He, he actually did more than was culturally accepted in that time in showing people equality in this space. Uh, and then we get to Galatians 3.28. So flip over to Galatians 3.28. I promise we will get back to Genesis. I told you that we would. It's on page three of my notes, so we'll get there. So Galatians 3.28, <clears throat> one of my favorite passages uh, in Scripture. I just fell in love with this when we did verse by verse through Galatians. Uh, last year. So who's got 328? The other Tim, yes. Tim the, should I say Tim the less since we're in, can I, can I do that? That was pretty awful, wasn't it? Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, now that sounds like completely opposite of what we just learned about, because I think... The Bible started out on page one saying there's male and female. So we've got a contradiction in the Bible. Right? No? You don't think so? So the answer to that question is always no. Right? So what he's talking about here is superior and inferior, better and worse. So, well, I'm a Jew, so I'm better. Well, I'm a Greek, well, I'm better. Well, I'm the master, I'm the slave. I'm the man, I'm the woman. Um, the what? What's the other? There's one more in there. Uh, Jew or Greek. Jew or Greek. So, what was it? Slave, Slave and free, man and woman. So, who's better? Is the Jew better or is the Greek better? No. Okay. So, is the slave better or is the master better? Nope. What about the man or the woman? Nope. Right. So, the answer to all those is no. Um, so, again, we see in this concept in the Old Testament, men and women equal in value and dignity. In the New Testament, equal in value and dignity. There's, no, there's just no uh, preference that the Bible gives either way. So let's keep moving. So let's talk about some differences in roles. Um, and this is something that, that, to be honest with you, he, he laid the foundation for this back when we did the doctrine of God. And I don't know that I picked up on it that he was setting it up to use in the doctrine of man 250 pages later. So if, if this sounds familiar, then I picked up on it and communicated it to you. And if it doesn't sound familiar, then I didn't pick up on it and it's new today. So here we go. All right, so let's talk about the, 
the Trinity for just a minute. So I've got a circle up here, and so I'm breaking my own rule because I think I went through great lengths when we talked about the Trinity not to draw pictures of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, good. So this is not, not an accurate depiction of the Trinity, but there's how many gods? And there are how many persons? Three, Three persons. And are they all uh, equal? Yes, they are. Uh, do they have the same levels of authority? They really don't. Uh, and, and this is the part that I want to be very careful about how I say things because I, I don't want to be uh, a heretic because uh, that would be bad. Um, so, so the Father sent the Son. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So the Father has some level of authority in the relationship within the Trinity to send the Son. Are we, we feel like we're safe saying that statement. Feel like we're good there? Okay, good. Because this same concept is true in the marriage relationship. So in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13, 11, is that right? 11, 3, there we go. Had the numbers in there, right? Just got to mix them up a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. This is Paul writing. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So there is a distinction in authority. Uh, and you'll notice on your handout there's that circle on the left with the F and the arrow to the S. That's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then what you can draw inside the circle that is blank is that there is an equal in value and dignity between the husband and the wife, but there is some level of accountability and authority that, the God, that God gives to the husband uh, for the family. So it's just what he says the way it is. So, so in some way, not in a full way, because we talked about there is no really good example in the universe that fully demonstrates the complexity of the relationships inside the Trinity, but in some ways, there are some pictures of things that help us understand this relationship. And this is one of them, which is kind of cool. So when God designed marriage, he gave us a very small glimpse into his own... The pronouns are so hard. Into the interpersonal relationships within the Trinity. Right? Isn't that cool? So we get to experience just a little of that in that you have this equality of personhood in the Trinity and equality in personhood in the marriage, but there is some level of authority there. So uh, interesting stuff. So in the book, Grudem does not talk about singleness very much at all, uh, but in the Sunday school class, he says, so what's the application to single men and women? And, and I really thought this was great. Um, he says, nowhere does, and a couple blanks here for you. Nowhere does the Bible say that all women are to be subject to all men. And everybody said amen, amen to that, right? Because he actually makes a, what I consider to be a really awful joke at this point. Um, he said, my wife told me that being subject to one man was plenty. And I was like, I'm not telling that. I'm quoting him as saying that. So that's all I'm going to go say with that. Uh, but I think I have Colossians 3.18 there. So the, the phrase there is, to your own. So there, there is no authority um, that... Uh, so, so, Shannon, I'm, I'm going to pick on you since you made eye contact when we said amen just a second ago. 
So Zeke, I, what kind of authority do I have over Shanna? Absolutely. Thank you, right? <laughs> and that's good, right? Absolutely, Absolutely right. And, and my wife's sitting over there, and what kind of authority do you have over her? Absolutely. And that's good, right, Julie? Amen. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and, and this is good and right and kind, right? Because, I mean, how, just think about how complex the world would be if there was some level of authority that women had over all men or men had over all... Too many things to keep up with. Oh my goodness, right? This is just not. Oh, so it, it. Yeah, somebody's gonna have too many bosses. This is just not good. And boss isn't even the word we're talking about. So even better. All right. So number two here, uh, the dominant biblical picture of how many women are relate to each other outside of the marriage relationship is as. Anybody know? Brothers and sisters. Right? Because we're family. Christ has made us brothers and sisters because we are. His sons, so this is cool. Now, let's think about it this way. See, so do you have any sisters? You know, who has sisters? You have sisters. All right, uh, David, you have sisters. How many sisters do you have? Five. Five sisters. You are the great example of this, right? Okay, here we go. Do you feel some level? When, let's talk about when we were kids at first, and then we'll go to adults. When you were kids, did you like when people picked on your sisters? It depended, right? <laughs> when you were, thank you for the honesty, yes. When you were walking rightly with God, uh, did you like when people picked on your sisters? Yeah, because there was some level of, she's my sister, I care about her, I want to protect her and defend her and stand up for her. And you see where I'm going with this? So, so when I see someone maligning you in church, I step up as a brother. If he's not standing here, well, if he's not doing anything, then I'm going to step up to a brother as you and say, hey, you need to do something. But if he's not, then I'm going to, I'm going to step up and say, hey. And likewise, Zeke, I need you, if somebody's doing something to Julie, step up and go, whoop, nope, time out, time out. Does this make sense? This, this is how we are to relate to each other. Okay. And I love this because I think this is really far more than just a single. He puts it in this category of singles, but it's far more than just a single. This is everybody. Yes? But is it, okay, in growing, I mean, in that aspect, what if I saw somebody doing something to you? As a sister, Absolutely. I should be able to, but in a church setting or other settings, that is a no-no. Absolutely it is, and that is wrong that we have made it a no-no. I appreciate you bringing that up, yes. Um, because, the, again, go back to Galatians 3. There's no male or female. There's no more importance on either way, so you ought to have the ability to come to the defense of someone who needs to have their defense come to. Well, that was an awkward <laughs> sentence. Wow. All right, so some of y'all set your alarms this morning, and the clock did what it was supposed to. My phone did exactly what it was supposed to. The app, however, that I used to do the alarm did not do what it was supposed to. So we got up an hour late. Uh, so if some of this comes out not half-baked, then I'm sorry. I didn't get to do my two or three readings of it this morning. So thank you, Julie, for helping to get us here uh, and all clothed appropriately. So we will go with that. But yes, so, so all of these... All of these, uh, this brother and sister relationship, this, this goes both ways, absolutely. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. That is good. I'm glad we got that on the tape. 
Uh, all right, so page 10 in my notes. So, uh, indi not page 10 in your notes, because that's there'd be a lot of notes for a handout. But. All right, so indications of distinct roles before the fall. Before the fall. Now, uh, most of you know that this is the book that we're going through, the Systematic Theology. He actually calls it an introduction to biblical doctrine, which I... <laughs> I don't know that I want to go there, but uh, I've been looking, as any good legalist does, for errors in this book as we go through, and I finally found one, and it took me to page 460. So the category here is indications of distinct roles before the fall. So I know somebody's going to pipe up and go, but F is after the fall. Yes, it is, and I don't think he's got a good, very, very good header on this, so I get it. If you see that, great. Okay, so point A, distinct roles before the fall. The, the idea that we're talking about here is that, that sin did not create distinct roles for men and women. Those are present before sin entered to the world. So the biblical view then is in Christ, we are restored back to the right views as opposed to living under these incorrect views. So we'll walk through some of these. So these are Grudem's points. A is uh, Adam was created first, then Eve. Uh, so if you look at Genesis chapter 2, who did God create first? Adam. And then Cain? Right. Okay. Uh, he, he talks a lot about uh, primogeniture, which is a word I'd never heard before. But this is basically the idea that the firstborn in any generation in a human family has leadership in the family for that generation. And we see this many times throughout Scripture in the birthright, in Who's, who's going to be in charge of the family and, and which son and this and that and the other? And it's whoever is first. That's, that's who's in charge. So um, B is Eve was created as a helper for Adam. Uh, and I love this. He spent a lot of time talking about the, the helpers in the Bible. But who is described? It's a Bible trivia question for you. Who is described? So think for a little bit before we, before we answer. But who is described as a helper more than anybody else in the Bible? More than anybody else in the Bible. In the New Testament, he is. Who in the Old Testament? Keep going with that same line of thought. I, I, well, I, I wouldn't know that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Is like Jesus, but kind of the reason for the New Testament. It wasn't a Sunday school answer. Yes, it was. Um, it's it wrong. That's the right answer. Yes, it was God the Father. Right. So, so you have this role of helper being performed by God in the Old Testament over dozens and dozens and dozens of times, especially if you look through and read through the Psalms. He is my help. He is my helper. He is my help in time of need. He is, I mean, it's just over and over and over, this concept of help. Um, and this is not a bad role. This is a great role. This is a role that God himself describes himself as filling Dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the scripture. So I thought this was beautiful that he saw the connection here between these two. Uh, all right, C was interesting. Uh, I don't know that I'd really thought about this before, but uh, C is Adam named Eve. He named Eve. Um, and, and in the Bible, uh, God actually changes the names of several people as we go through the scripture. And that indicates some level of authority that he has over those people. Um, so, <coughs> Kristen Barber, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Is that okay that I ask you a question this morning? Great. How did you come about your name? Didn't even verbally answer. I just pointed, right? That's even better. So, who are you pointing at? My dad. 
your dad. So. Well, it's probably my mom though, because she spelled it ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> her, her middle name. What's your middle name? And no one knows how to spell it. D-E-N-E-A? I, I filled it out one way on the birth certificate, oh. and then it was changed by the really? time it got to the uh, county office. I don't know yeah. how to spell that is fantastic. Yeah. All right, so Bethany, I have a question for you. <laughs> Actually, there's a reason I asked you first, because I wanted to ask you this question second. Did you get to vote on their name? Yes. I don't remember. <laughs> did, did, you, did you consult her and say, we want your input, you get to vote? Did you ask the doctor and say, you fill it out for us? Did you check with the nurse and say, we don't know what to do here, you just do this? No, because it's your right as a parent, because you have authority in that space to name, right? We get this. We get this concept. This is pretty straightforward. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of people talk about, uh, I talked a lot about animals last week. A lot more than, I didn't have any word about animals in my notes anywhere last week. Can y'all believe that? I talked about cats and dogs and that wasn't anywhere in my notes. I went back and looked and I was like, where did that come from? I was like, I don't know. This Darla was sitting right here, whom I missed today, and I know she's listening. She has the flu, so let's everybody give her a aww. That was for you, Darla. There we go. Uh, I hope she's sleeping. She needs to be, right? That's, the flu is awful. Um, but the fact that, that Adam named the animals shows his authority over, uh, over that. All right, so D, uh, God named the human race man and not woman uh, in Genesis 5-2, uh, the passage that uh, Tim the Elder read just a little bit earlier. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? We're, I'm just going to, that's just, that makes me happy. Uh, hey, you're going to be a granddad, right? So this, there's some, there's some no fun why. stuff that comes with that, right? <laughs> uh, e, the serpent came to Eve first. Um, so remember we talked about the devil always wants to do the opposite of whatever God has created. So if God uh, put Adam uh, in a leadership authority role in the family, then it only makes sense that the devil would try to undermine that by not going straight to Adam, but by uh, going to the person that did not have the leadership role in the family. Uh, and then we get to F, which is, you know, it breaks our little heading two. Uh, but God spoke to Adam first after the fall. Let's go to Genesis 3.9. I want to read that real quick. There's so many echoes of my conversations with my kids in here, just, and, and echoes that I recall with my dad having with me. So, right? so here's got Genesis 3.9. Where are you? Now, did God, God knew where he was, right? Yeah, God knew where he was. And what's verse 10 say? He replied, I heard you walk, walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Yeah, I hid. Right, I hid, which is so sad. It's, it's, it's like the first really, I mean, the fact that um, they ate the fruit, that's sad as well. But I hid. I hid from the one who created me. This is just it's horrible sad. Uh, and let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 22. The, this half of the room, go to 1 Corinthians 15, 22. This half of the room, go to Romans 5, 15. Okay? And G is something that I, I still struggle with. I, I, I do not have this uh, ticked and tied uh, and fully audited in my brain. Um, it is, it's just difficult for me here, but I, that's, God said it and... That's the truth, so we'll settle with that. 
So 1 Corinthians 15, 22, who's got it? David, you got it? Awesome. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So, so this concept of in Adam all died, so what are we talking about when in Adam all died? Yeah, this physical death when Adam sinned, right? Now, does it say when Eve sinned? No. So, who ate the fruit first? Eve. Who does it feel like sinned first? Adam. Who does it feel like sinned? It feels like Eve sinned first. And, and I actually, uh, Grudem does not say that Eve doesn't, didn't sin first. He actually says Eve sinned first. But he says Adam had the leadership role, and he was accountable for the rest of humanity. And that is where we get it. It didn't matter who sinned first. He, was, he had the, the leadership role in that space. And that's how he reconciles the fact that it really looks like Eve sinned first, even though in Adam we all fall. So interesting. He's been really, he's walking a very fine line there, I think, but uh, interesting thought. Now, here's the thought that he does uh, talk about, and then we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, but that if you don't believe that in Adam all fell, then you can't believe that in Christ all are redeemed. Because one man falls, one man rises. Which, which I thought, my, my brain just kind of went, it broke there for like 30 minutes, had to stop the podcast and just think. So it was interesting stuff. So that's 1 Corinthians 15. 22, who's got Romans 5, 15? Mitch, you got it? But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So we have this same concept, right? This one, by one man many died, and then by one man many live. So it's a beautiful thing. Uh, all right, so then... H is really kind of his summary of this whole section. Uh, the curse brought a distortion of previous roles, and we'll go back to Genesis 3 to see this, not the introduction of new roles. A distortion of previous roles, not an introduction of new roles. All right, so who's got Genesis 3, 16, 17, 18, and 19? Stephen, you got it? No. Sir. no? He was just making eye contact, right? That's okay. Dave, you got it? Yep. Okay, I'm going to stop you a lot here. So. Okay, to okay. the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, conce- and your conception. In- so now, had God already told them to fill the earth at this point? Yes. Okay. But there was no pain associated with this for her at this point that we know of, right? Because it, it just, b- before this, what's that? There's some level, yeah. right, maybe, but not like it is now. Okay. Said, That's the key point, right? I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, but not that it doesn't say it's going to multiply pain. Yeah, so there's a couple different ways to translate the, the sorrow there. Right. Okay. And pain is uh, like definition two or three in most of the, uh, what's the word, the book that has the definitions? Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just not with it today. All right? Okay, so let's keep going. Uh, In pain you shall bring forth children. There we go. Your desire shall be for your husband, 
and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree. So what was Adam's job before this? He worked in the garden, right? So we could call him a gardener. Yep, okay, great. So what happens to the garden now? Uh, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it, and in all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. So, so he was a gardener before, and he's kind of still a gardener and a farmer after. It just became difficult, right? So she was going to have kids before, and she has kids after. It just became difficult. And, and what about their relationship itself? It says, uh, your desire, she's talking to Eve, it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So they had a relationship before, and now it's going to be difficult. And, and so these roles existed. This wasn't an introduction of new roles. It was just this distortion of the previous role. Um, and it's really sad because they wrecked it for all of us, but we would have wrecked it too. So, you know, that's the, that's the sad part. All right, so the beautiful part is I. The beautiful part is, which is almost never true theologically, uh, but the beautiful part is I on this list of things. Thank you for the kind smile there. I appreciate that. All right, so redemption in Christ reaffirms the creation order. So Colossians 3, 18 and 19, which is actually our uh, memory verses for today. Uh, for this week's lesson, uh, we'll talk about those next week as well. So Colossians 3, 18 and 19, who's got that? Nobody wants to read this one. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Absolutely. So, so these two verses tie directly back to Genesis 3. Right? So this is this restoration of this relationship that became difficult. Now, this does, just because they're written in Colossians 3 doesn't make it easy, right? And everybody said, right? Um, but they're written there, and that's the way it's supposed to be. So uh, in the book, he talks about uh, five or six paragraphs of uh, application toward marriage. Uh, but the Sunday school lessons, the whole second lesson is just application to marriage. And, and it is really really good stuff. So if you're a podcaster, go find Grudem's podcast on this. Listen to the second of the two hours on uh, the creation of man and woman. Uh, and I'll summarize these really quickly because we're just about out of time this morning. Um, so most of what the biblical text talks about is the overbearingness of these two roles. So if the, the man has a leadership role in the house and he is overbearing in this, Grudem would call this a tyrant, okay? Right? We'll just pick a word. If the, the woman has a, uh, a role in the house and does not acknowledge and live out that role, uh, we could call that domineering. You could pick a lot of different words for this, but we'll just use those two. Uh, and, and Dave Barber taught me something when we were going through the fruits of the Spirit. And, and Dave mentioned something, it was in Galatians, we were doing the Galatians study, I don't know if you remember this or not. But he was really excited to do the fruits of the Spirit because he wanted to talk about the overexpression and the underexpression of each one of these gifts. Because if it's outside of how it's supposed to be operated in, it's a problem. And Grudem brings this up in these roles in marriage as well, because you can either have this overexpression extreme, 
You can also have an under-expression extreme, right? So if a man says, I don't want to lead, I want to back out, okay, well, Grudem's word for that is a wimp. Call it what it is, right? You don't want to lead, you don't want to lead. Uh, and then if the woman doesn't want to uh, engage, I'm going to read, I'm going to read these actually. Uh, there are two other nearly opposite distortions of the biblical pattern that can occur if tyranny by the husband and usurpation of authority by the wife are errors of aggressiveness. Usurpation. There are two other errors, errors of passivity and laziness. For the husband, the other extreme being a domineering tyrant is to be entirely passive and to fail to take the initiative in the family, in colloquial terms, to be a wimp. In this distortion of the biblical pattern, a husband comes to be, a, become, a husband comes so, quote-unquote, considerate of his wife that he allows her to make all the decisions and even agrees when she urges him to do wrong. Note this behavior in Adam, Ahab, and Solomon, amongst others in the Bible. Often such a husband is increasingly absent, either physically or emotionally, from the home and occupies his time almost exclusively with other concerns. The corresponding error on the part of the wife, opposing of attempting to domineer or usurp authority over her husband, is becoming entirely passive, contributing nothing to the decision-making process of the family, and being unwilling to speak words of correction to her husband, even though he is doing wrong. Greedom's term for this is doormat. Submission to authority does not mean being entirely passive and agreeing with everything that the person in authority says or suggests. I'm going to read that again. Submission to authority does not mean being entirely passive and agreeing with everything that the person in authority says or suggests. I'm going to read it one more time. Submission to authority does not mean being entirely passive and agreeing with everything that the person in authority says or suggests. No matter how many times it's been preached this way, it is not what submission means. Okay? Ladies, we need your voice. We need your perspective. We need your input. We need you to speak up and to help. There's a word in there that's important back from Genesis. We need you to help. We need your help. The best analogy I've ever heard for husband and wife is that God gave you two eyes. And they're offset just a little bit so you can have depth perception so that you can tell how far away and how close things are. Because if you just walk through the world with one eye, right? Samuel Jackson in the Avengers. If you just walk through that world in one eye, you don't have good depth perception. And I can run into things. And I need another perspective. I don't need another perspective that's five miles that way. I need another perspective that's, that's close, that helps, helps, that's in there. So I'm going to keep reading here. Uh, it is certainly, a wife can certainly be subject to the authority of her husband and still participate fully in the decision-making process of the family. So combinations of extremes can occur. Here you go. When you have a tyrant married to a doormat. Oh, no, no, no. I've got these mixed up. This is not right. Mm. Switch the word doormat and domineering in that first line. This is what happens when I get to read through the notes three times. So it should say tyrant and domineering, and then parentheses, fighting all the time. You've seen these couples, yes? Everybody wants to be in charge all the time, yes? When you have a tyrant and a doormat, this is abuse. This is a great opportunity for abuse. When you have a wimp and a domineering, abuse. Just the other direction, right? And then when you have a wimp and a doormat together, you know who's in charge? Oh, oh yeah, the kids are. <laughs> yeah, the kids are in charge. Because <laughs> nobody will step up and lead. Okay? I was like, he said that and I went, oh, that's painful. Right? But we've seen it. All right, so I'm, I'm going to give you my view on all this. 
because I hadn't really put my two cents in yet. So. I'll give it maybe one cent. Probably is probably the more appropriate word here. Uh, I am so my view of this, and I'm, I've got Julie in mind here. I'm not as wise as us, and the final responsibility for my house belongs to me. So if my house is not honoring God and following God, that's up to me because I need to lead. If, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that because it is what it is. So I know it went a little long today. Sorry for that. Uh, we've got uh, a handout in the middle of your table. So if you'll lean in and engage on the weekly update, make sure your prayer requests are in there, that you've got the names of everybody who is at your table on there. That'd be great. Lean in, engage on the prayer requests. If you're sitting at a table by yourselves, You may want to lean in and engage with another table very quickly, and uh, we'll get out of here. Thanks, guys.